Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. I like to, when I preach outside of my own city or my own context, I like to bring my family with me to remind me at least who I really am. This is what I do. I preach. I'm called to be a preacher, not a communicator, not a motivational speaker, a preacher of God's Word. I just want to make that clear. I'm not here to give a motivational speech. I'm not here to facilitate a conversation. I'm here to preach the Word of God. And that's what worship is about. Preaching the Word is part of worship. In the same way, this whole thing is a worship service. And we have worshiped God in song, and now we're going to worship God in the Word. We worship God with our offering. And the same way that we worship God in song and we worship God in the offering, we worship through the listening and the speaking of His Word. And I, uh, So that's what I'm called to do, but who I am is that. That's my my wife, happy Mother's Day. My children are very successful, all three of them, and very godly, and it's because I tell people they had a disadvantage. They had, a, not dis, they had an advantage that most people don't have. That's why they're so successful. They had her for the mother. So they have, they have achieved much. Um, I have many, I see many multi-ethnic families here. Um, I am so appreciative. I look at my, I have seven grandchildren. We had three born during covid and uh, within a few months of each other. So I had three daughter-in-laws pregnant during COVID. I have three sons, three daughter-in-laws. But when all three of those children, um, the Webbs got to see them. My son hosted a dinner last week and gosh, it's, uh, at, at their house. And looking at my newest grandchildren, um, they don't look like they're related. <laughs> they don't look related at all. Because one of my daughter-in-laws is Filipino, one of my daughter-in-laws is Japanese, and the other is of German descent, American. And so when you look at those three kids, one looks brown, and when the sun comes out, my Filipino grandchildren, even if they're inside, when the sun's out, they turn brown. <laughs> and then my, the one who has the, you know, the German descent, I could leave them out on the beach for three days straight, and they would still be as white as my shoelaces. <laughs> and then I have a beautiful Japanese granddaughter as well. So it, it, I love the multicultural. I'm, I'm, so that's an every nation family right there. So, um, and I'm privileged. I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, my children and my daughter-in-laws and my uh, grandchildren. I want to say something as I preach the word today. So now the sermon is starting. This is it. And here's my introduction to my sermon right here. Pastor, Pastor JB, this is John Baptiste. He is the pastor of the Every Nation Church in Burundi. And uh, at the 12 o'clock service, he will get to share a little bit more. Um, but uh, was there a microphone? Um, I'll give you a little bit of his story. Before he was Pastor John Baptiste, or JB we call him, um, he was a refugee in the Philippines with his family wife and his kids. And he was in our church seven years, seven years in one of our churches in Manila and going about leading a call center in, the, in French and had a really good job and doing quite well and living very comfortably. But God called him back 
to his nation and to his people. He was a refugee because of the violence and the civil war and the blood on the streets and the horrible tribal wars and civil war that ripped his nation apart. But God started stirring something. I brought you to the Philippines to get restored and to get revived, but you're called home. And so this man and his wife and his kids moved back to his home and planted Every Nation Church. And you can see what's going on here, uh, the pictures from their congregation. They, in a, in a war-torn nation, in a nation that has just had massive struggles, they have gone back and planted. But here's what I want you to hear. We confessed a moment ago in our offering confession we spoke about the orphans and the widows and the foreigner. This man was a foreigner in the Philippines, and he was taken in as family, as spiritual family. We have some foreigners and refugees in our church in Nashville from Iran. In Nashville also has the largest population of Kurds, Muslim Kurds, outside of where they, their homeland is. And... We do everything we can to make them feel at home. And I want to get back to that in a moment and tell you why that's important. Because you have people just like this man in your city. They're all over Joburg. They're all over South Africa. And here's what I want you to hear. Well, first I want you to hear him. Tell us why you went back and what God has done. Uh, I went back home because I was tired to leave for nothing. I wanted to live for something. And I wanted to die for something. I wanted to leave a legacy. I knew that life is very short. And I had to go back home and risk my life. Just like uh, in the book of Acts 15 verse 26, it is say that, uh, I love the Message Bible, it says that, uh, they, they are these men who, who had the audacity of looking at death in the face time after time. So they risked their, their lives. And then I said, I have to go back home because everything is nothing if you are not living for God. And I, you'll be able to hear more from Pastor JB at the 12 o'clock service or online as well. But I want you to pray. You know, let's be a house of prayer for all nations for just a moment here. And I believe that pleases the Lord. Lord, thank you for Pastor John Baptiste and his family and the spiritual community and spiritual family you're building in Burundi. Lord, there are other churches all over that nation preaching the gospel. Thank you for this one that has one foot on the campus and one foot in the community and they're serving and living as witnesses. Lord, bless this man. May he go back to his people refreshed and inspired and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Encouraged because he was here with us at Every Nation Rosebank. Lord, bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my friend. The widow, the orphan, the foreigner. We just spoke our commitment to them. But here's what I want to talk about today. There are a lot of people in your city and in your nation who do not see the foreigners from a biblical perspective. 
In my nation, it's certainly the case. Let me tell you a story. I, um, there's been a lot of upheaval in America, and I'll just talk about that instead of talking about yours, about immigrants and foreigners. And if there are two, I hate to call them news sites in America because they're not news, they're opinion. One is, depending on if it's Democrat or Republican, one is everything the Democrats do is right, everything the Republicans do. The other one is the opposite. Everything the Republicans do is right, and everything the Democrats do is wrong. And so here's what happened. I posted a blog earlier this year after an event that happened in my nation, and my attempt was to give a theological, biblical missiological, um, um, Christian view, lens to see that event through. The comments were not surprising. Every comment, I could tell which, quote, news source they followed. Every single one. It was obvious. So I got beat up from both sides. But it's okay because I'm not on either one of those sides. My job is to speak God's truth from God's Word and to provide a biblical, theological, missiological lens through which to see culture. I tried to help people in my nation see immigrants from a biblical perspective not from a Republican or Democrat perspective. From a biblical perspective. We're Christians, right? Yes. Aren't we supposed to see life through Scripture? Yes. And if that lines up with our political persuasion or our cultural desires, okay, but if it doesn't, we go with this. Yes. We have people like this man all over my city of Nashville. And I plead with the church to act like Christians not to act like Republicans or Democrats or Americans, to act like Christians toward the foreigners. And I know this church is. And I can't wait to see the nations that are reached out of this church because we act like Christians toward the visitors to our city and our church and our nation. I'm, I'm proud of the way the church in Manila treated this man and his family. And God launched him to do an amazing work in a place that desperately needs the gospel. I honor you, my brother. Thank you for what you're doing. Now, when you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, because here's my message. Who has your ear? Who do you listen to? Who are you listening to? Because whoever you listen to captures your mind. Whoever you listen to captures your heart. Whoever you listen to dictates how you live your life. The people we're about to read in this story, let me tell you who they listen to. Jewish people of the first century. They listened to the law and the prophets. Remember that, the law and the prophets. The law, who was the law? What was the law? That's the first five books of the Bible. That's the Pentateuch. Penta five is the Pentateuch. It's the Torah. The books traditionally are attributed to Moses' writings. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. That's the law. 
the people we're about to read about, their whole culture was shaped by the law and the prophets. Who were the prophets? Uh, some traditions, the prophets were the rest of the Old Testament, everything. Some people would say only those that have the name of a prophet on the book. Either way, the law and the prophets, the people were going to read about everything they believed, the way they lived, even the clothes they wore and the food they ate and how they cut their beards. Tradition, culture, everything they believed was coming from the law and the prophets. That was their mindset. That was their filter for truth. And so look what Jesus says to them and asks of them. Very familiar scripture, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20 will be our text. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, before I say another word, no, this is the word of God we're looking at. The Christ of God. The word Christ is a Greek word. It's the exact same word as Messiah. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. Same word, same meaning. Now, Peter gives the right answer, but his understanding of that was a little bit off. Their understanding, the first century Jewish people of Messiah, of Christ, was that this person was going to come for the Jews. Jewish was an ethnicity, for a race, an ethnicity, an ethnic people. And he would deliver us from the rest of you. It was an us and them thing. They interpreted it through their ethnicity. They interpreted it nationalistically at one time in the days of Solomon. Their kingdom was strong and wonderful, but it had been a horrible time since then, ruled by the Persians and ruled by, by the Babylonians and ruled by the Greeks and now ruled by the Romans, and it had been century after century of foreign domination. And their dream was Messiah, Christ will come. And it's you, Jesus. You're the one. So now our ethnicity will get its place of honor back. Our nationality will come to prominence. They interpreted Messiah politically, nationally, and ethnically. So many of my American friends do that. And part of the blog I mentioned earlier was trying to convince people, look, there is a difference. I hate to say it this way. There's a difference in the kingdom and our nation. Look, I'm all for nation building and all of that, but there's sometimes many people who get into that get confused about what the kingdom is. Jesus is not coming, and he didn't die to build our nation. He died to build his kingdom. And there is a massive difference. So, these are people who had always interpreted life through the lens of the law and the prophets. That's who they listened to. But they had misinterpreted some of it. And so now here, Jesus says, who does the crowd say that I am? The answer was wrong, completely wrong. 
Who do you say I am? That's important when he says, who do you say that I am? In the English language, you can be plural or singular, right? Now, in Old English, if you read a King James Bible, there's, there's thee and thou, or ye and thou, and thee, thee, thee. It, there's a singular and a plural you, but in modern English, it's just you, and you have to know from the context, is this one individual you, or is this you? This one, it says he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to a group, a spiritual community. Who do you say that I am? It's plural, not singular. Western people like me like to, like to singularize everything. We like the individual. We like the just me and Jesus. I don't know about the rest of you. It's me and no, no, it's not. It's you and Jesus. It's community. Who does the community you walk with say Jesus is? These people weren't listening to the crowd. They listened to the law and the prophets. They didn't really care what the crowd said. So what does the crowd say? But you know, there are a lot of people, they live their lives on who the crowd says. They go back and forth about what the crowd says about Jesus, what the crowd says about God's Word. Once and for all, we need to push aside what the crowd says. I don't care what the crowd says. So many Christians trying to be relevant to the crowd lose the gospel. Forget trying to be relevant. Be godly. What the crowd says doesn't matter. But what you say, not you individually, what the community, the spiritual community we are part, part of, says about Jesus matters. And so Peter gives the right answer. He's the spokesman, the self-appointed spokesman. You are the Christ, the Christ of God. But there was some misunderstanding. So Jesus tries to correct their understanding. In verse 23, he upgrades their theology. I hope Jesus is constantly upgrading your theology. He's upgrading mine all the time. Every time I read the Bible, he's upgrading my theology. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 21, 22, 23. He upgrades their theology of Messiah, of Christ. He says, hey, there's going to be suffering, rejection, and even death. That messed with their mind. No, Messiah is like Superman. There's no death. There's no suffering. This is, this is conquering. They were, this blows their mind because they've not grown up with that mentality. And then he upgrades their dis- doctrine of discipleship in the next few verses. Verse 23, he says, if anybody wants to come after me, you've got to deny self, take up a cross, and follow me. They thought this was all triumph. Interesting, he says, deny self. We live in a selfie world that likes to put self in the middle. My wife showed me a while back a hashtag that was going around Christian circles, some Christian celebrity Christian writers and celebrity Christian preacher type of people. And this hashtag was floating around called, I choose me. Whoa. That's kind of the opposite of the gospel. The other one was me time. You ever seen that hashtag, me time? I've been really tired. I need some me time. Hashtag me time. No, you don't. You need to deny self, not choose self. The doctrine of discipleship is self-denial, not self-promotion, not self-absorption. Less of me, more of him. I must decrease. He must increase. So Jesus is trying to upgrade their doctrine of discipleship. But then he gets to this. This leads into this story that we all know it. And this is the, this is the 
Heart of the message and the conclusion. Okay? The transfiguration. The rest of this chapter, they go up on this mountain, and it doesn't tell us which mountain, fortunately, because there would be people worshiping that mountain today if we knew where it was. It goes up on this mountain. It's Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And the glory falls. We talk about the glory falling, but this is another level here. And Peter, James, and John are terrified, but they want to stay. Have you ever felt that with God? You're at the same time terrified and don't want it to end. That's worship. That's presence. Because they see them getting smaller, and they see their sin, I'm certain, and they see his glory and his grace and his love, and I'm scared, but I want more. And then a weird thing happens. Guess who shows up? Here they are, Jesus glowing, Peter, James, and John terrified but wanting more. And then there appears Moses and Elijah. Remember the story? Moses. Remember what he wrote? The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law. He came down with the tablets and broke them and had to go back them and come down again. If anybody represented the law, it was Moses. Who else was there? The prophet. Elijah, the prophet that did more miracles than any other prophet. The prophet of prophets. And suddenly, it's not just Jesus, Peter, James, and John. It's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's Peter, James, and John. And then here's the law and the prophet right in front of them. They've built their whole life on the law and the prophet. Everything they think is right and wrong is based on the law and the prophet. Everything they know in their culture, their values, their traditions, all right there. They built their lives on that. And then the voice from heaven comes. We've heard, what do the crowds say about me? Ah, this. What do you say about me? This. But now here comes, what does the Father say about him? Some of us have built our lives around what the crowd thinks about us. Others have built our lives on what we think about ourselves. But when we hear what the Father says about us, that's who we really are. So here comes the voice of the Father. You can look it up. Maybe it's on the screen. Here comes the voice of the Father. Here we go. Peter, James, and John, Jesus, the law and the prophet, Moses, Elijah, the voice of the Father comes and says, this is my beloved son. What did he say? Listen to him. Wait a minute. Can you see how radical this is? My whole life, generation after generation after generation, this is what we've listened to, the law and the prophet. My parents taught me this. My grandparents, their grandparents, generation after generation, as far as we go, our culture, our tradition, everything has said, whatever the law and the prophets say, that's what you do. And now God is saying, listen to him. Now, I don't know what your tradition tells you. I don't know what your culture tells you. But when he tells you something, you better put your culture aside. You better put your tradition aside. Be honoring towards your tradition. Be honoring towards your culture, your parents, your grandparents. But listen to him. Because that's the voice that matters. How do you listen to him? Every one of us are wired differently. 
Every one of us, we're, none of us are the same. Some of you, and I, I need to explain, some of you noticed me during the music part of worship. Sometimes I, I borrowed a pen from Simon. I don't know if I ever gave it back. And I sat down while everybody else was standing and singing. And I started scribbling because I was listening to him in worship. And I wanted to write it down so I didn't forget it. My sermon changed during the worship because I was listening to him. Come to church to listen to him. You know when else I listen to him? is when somebody is preaching the word. It's funny because I listen during a sermon and my notes often don't look anything like the sermon outline because I'm listening to what God's saying me through the preaching of the word. And sometimes he's telling me something that jumps off of what the sermon was. I'm listening to him. Also, every morning, my wife gets up way earlier than I do. I'm not an early morning person. You don't want to hear anything from me until at least noon. She's an early morning and a late night person. She's up really early listening to Jesus. After she's been at it for at least an hour, I wake up and get a couple of shots of coffee, and then I'm sort of awake. She has a spot in our home. I have my spot. And we go, and I listen to Jesus. I open my Bible up, and I open my notebook up, and I listen, and I read, and I hear what he wants to say. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Listen to him. He might speak to you different ways than he does to me, different times, different places. I told you three places I really hear him during worship time, during hearing a sermon, during my daily time when I get up before I go to work, before I do anything else, and I open this Bible. Not to tick a box and say, I did that on my schedule, so now maybe God likes me more. No. He loves you. He loves me, even if we never read the Bible. But if we'll get up and read it every day, we'll love him more. He won't love you anymore. You could throw it down and burn it. He won't love you more or less. Reading it every day doesn't make him love you more, but it makes you listen to him more. Listen to him. Let's take a moment. I'm closing. Take a moment and let's be silent. Listen to him. Even if it's different than the tradition you've always heard, listen to him. Even if what he says is different than what cultural norms would tell us, listen to him. Even if it's different than what the crowd says, listen to him. Lord, open our ears to hear. Open our minds to understand. Open our hearts to receive. Help us to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.